The account of creation. I was, I was titling your sermon, so it's, it's, it's one of those tricky things. And I looked at my um, New Living Translation, and it said, the account of creation. I'm like, good enough for me. I like that one. Um, it's it's kind of what we're going to do today. We're going to look at the, the different um, days. I'm going to go through all seven, as you can see in your bulletin there. And we are going to just look at what God's done. And you're going to see the order in this. Because we have a God that is a God of ordering of life, not chaos. And we see that in the process of his creation. And the thing that really struck out, there's so many things you can talk about in Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to touch on a few of the things. But the biggest thing that I see in this is how God sustains life by the sixth day that we can live on the earth. And if he would have created maybe the opposite, maybe created us on the first day, we would have died right away, right? So God is a God of order. He has a purpose for what he does. And when he creates, he does it in a way that makes it so life can be sustained. Okay, God is a God of life. When we went through the book of John, we saw that God is a God of life. That he's always striving for life. And as we go through, we're going to see that this morning. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, another good verse to memorize right there. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Right? So we have a lot of creation happening right there. But he then gives us a, a little bit of details in verse 2. It says, The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the sun, or the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And then he separated the light from the darkness, and he called the light day and the darkness night. And the evening passed, and morning came marking the first day. Now, we have some different things that we can have that we see here in creation. We see some amazing things happening. Um, and you may say to yourself, wow, it would be really cool to be there on day one. Well, no, it wouldn't have because there's no atmosphere. There's, there's this formless earth. There's no place to stand. Um, there's is it water? Is it earth? I don't know. At this point in time, it might all have been one big old pile of mush. I'm not really sure what it means that it was formless and the darkness covered the deep waters. So we know there was waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface, which is probably the only thing that would save us at that point in time, right? So what's neat about that, though, we see that the Holy Spirit is there. We know that Jesus was there because of John. And um, we know God the Father. So we see the Trinity in this creation. Day one. It runs us right into the debate of creationism versus science. Okay? I happen to believe that those two can go hand in hand. Now, a lot of people, they will go out and and they'll say, well, the science doesn't support that. Well, I'm going to give you a few examples of where it does support that, or maybe a different point of view on how to look at it so you can see how it may support it. Uh, creationism comes from the Bible. 
What do we know about the Bible? The Bible is true. Yes, we learned that in the community Bible study. The Bible is true. Okay, so let's bottom line it. When it comes down to Jesus, let me ask you this. So when it comes to Jesus, did Jesus come and die? Yes. Not only do I believe that, but I think I can prove that throughout history. There's other things in history that point to that being true, let alone the four accounts that we have in the, in the gospel. Did he rise again? Yeah. Is Jesus God? Yeah. I think if he rises again, you can clearly see that he claimed that he was God. And if he rose again, then he is proclaiming that he is God. So I think throughout those things, I think you can see that if you're a Christian, you can believe that very easily. If you're not a Christian, I think it's very easily to go do the research and find these out for yourself. How do I know that? C.S. Lewis, Lee Strobel, those are two guys I know for sure um, that have done that. Um, oh, who's the other guy? Uh, Josh McDowell. He's done it too. Right? And so as we go through, we see that God is God, Jesus is God, and that uh, he is there in spirit with us. If Jesus is God and the Bible is his word, right? So follow me with this. If Jesus is God and God has his holy word, which he gives us, which is um, the Holy Spirit and his holy word, what do we have? Wouldn't, don't you think that Jesus would have corrected his word if it were wrong, right? If Jesus came and he was God, wouldn't he have corrected his word if it was wrong? He doesn't correct the word, but what does he correct? How it's being taught. Have you, you see that? He goes to the Pharisees. What they say is right, but how they're doing it is wrong. How they're applying it is incorrect. And so as they go through, this is what we have. And um, if Jesus needed something corrected, he would have done it at that time. He did not do that. He didn't come to correct his word. He came to correct how it was being taught. Additionally, Jesus never, never changed the words of the Bible. However, like I said, he corrected the way it was taught. I believe that this proves that he knew what was written in the Bible. You have heard it said. Anytime Jesus is saying that, he is quoting scripture. But I tell you, it's like this. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. He is resetting scripture. You said, eye for an eye. I say, love your enemies, pray for them. He's resetting it. He's taking it deeper. He is making it much more than what it was in the past. Science comes from the presented facts. So if you look at science and how it's come, you look at the presented, presented facts. Now, we're coming on one of those times again where we like to see those facts shifted, right? Um, we, in June, we have our, our um, primary for our elections. Anytime you get an election season coming up, you always see those facts just they shift. They shift that bottom line a little bit. Uh, the other day I showed the 
I showed the offering up there, and, and Craig uh, Gillum says, I, I think it's an important story, but you got to be careful of the bottom line that you've shown. And I was like, that is a strong point. Um, and so all those things, even things that I can present as facts, we have to be careful of how we present them, don't we? Okay? And so if you pick and choose your facts, you pick and choose your own story, don't you? If I want you to show a certain thing on the line, I can distort the facts. And if I distort the facts, guess what? They don't, they're not fact anymore. It's fiction because you, you're taking the truth and you're distorting it. But science tells a story of what the presenter wants it to. If the correct facts or if they've added variables that are not correct, then the results can be flawed. If they change the bottom line to make it look astronomical when it's only 1% off, but the graph looks like it just shot off the roof, you know, well, they just narrowed it in, so it makes it look horrible. Um, you, can, you can do lots of things like that. Science can tell a story only by the facts that it's presented it. Science is the biggest answer that I get from people that say they don't need religion today. Well, Follow the science. I believe in science. I don't believe in God. I hear that a lot. I don't know if you guys do or not, but I hear that a lot. If, if they don't want to follow God, if they don't want a set of morality in their life, they say, well, I believe in science. Well, what does that really mean? The problem with science is that it changes quite a bit, doesn't it? Even in the last 50 years, we've, we've learned so much more than what we knew 50 years ago. Back in the 70s, I mean, if we were going to get a heart transplant, would you want it done in 1970 or would you want it done in 2020? I think that's a no-brainer to me, right? Um, if you were going to get a knee replacement, would you want it done in the 70s? No. I think I'd just live with my bum knee back in the 70s Today, um, they have got that system down pretty good. Um, with many joints, they, they can do that. Back in the 80s, if you were going along and you were a major league pay pitcher and you threw your arm out, you were done. You didn't pitch anymore in the major leagues. Now they give you Tommy John surgery and you come back better than you were before. Right? And so science has come a long way and it presents itself it's very attractive, doesn't it? It looks like it has all the answers. And below the surface or in all the facts, the answers are there. It's that we need to discover them. And as science catches up, in my opinion, to creation, science actually points to creation more and more. And we'll talk about that as we go through the days. So... Why would we want to believe the science that changes on a daily basis when we have God's word that hasn't changed to Jesus' time and hasn't changed till now? How do you know? How do you know that? Well, like I said, if it changed to, at Jesus' time, I think Jesus would have corrected it. And if it hasn't changed since then, what do we have that proves that it is very, very close or nearly perfect from what we have in the past, 
It's the Dead Sea Scrolls, right? They found those in, in the 70s, and they continue to use, guess what? Science to be able to read those things even better. Uh, spectrometers that, that they can look through. It looks like, to us, we would look at that scroll, and we would say, there's nothing but black on that page, and they can, they can uh, take away the years of staining and things, um, and the degradation of that material, and they can bring the, the text right back to it. It it's really is amazing. So God is a God of order and life, not chaos, and we see that in the process of his, of his creation. And we see this in verses 6 through 8. And Jesus said, Let there be a space between the waters to separate the water from the heavens and from the waters of the earth. And that is what happened. God made the space to separate the waters of the earth from the waters of the heavens, and God called the place sky, and evening passed, and morning came, making the second day. Now, you look at day two, and you say, well, what did God create on day two? Well, he created the sky. But you could also make a case that God didn't create anything on day two. That he separated, and he organized, and he, in a sense, divided on day two. And you see that throughout Scripture with the number two, that God uses it as two separate opinions. We saw that a lot in the book of John. We also see it a lot uh, throughout the Bible when the number two comes up. Water in the, in the earth and water vapor, a.k.a. the sky. We also see the water cycle, I think, is kind of created here. What does all life need to sustain, sustain itself? It needs water, doesn't it? If we don't have water, we die. And God is preparing it a place for life. Kind of makes you want, think, wow, if he took seven days to create first earth, he's taken all these times, all these years to create heaven and the new earth, man, that's going to be quite spectacular, right? It's going to be quite spectacular. I can't wait. God's creation is one of a compound of creation of H2O. God is defining his creation. He is setting zones. He is creating uh, many things. Out of the void, he creates the heavens and the earth. Here, God is refining and defining the earth by, by separating. We see this throughout the rest of the Bible. Again, when it comes to the number two, the water on the surface and the sky the sky provides us with an atmosphere that protects us from the sun. It's amazing. If, if you took away the atmosphere, how long we would make it here on earth? Not, not at all, right? We would, as soon as we went and disappeared from the sun, we would die from the heat. If we came back to the sun, or we disappeared from the sun, we'd die from the cold. We'd come back, um, we'd die from the heat, right? How do I know that? That's what would happen on the moon, Right? Yeah, we'd be hit by meteors too. That's right. They burn up uh, because of the oxygen in the, in the uh, atmosphere as well. Yes. So we see some really cool things happening here. And we have this phrase that goes throughout chapter 1. And it says, The evening passed and the morning came, making it the second day, making it the third day, the fourth day. He says that. Um, it's 24 hours. The point, I think this points 
that God is doing this in a 24-hour period. If you look at the original Hebrew, it is pointing to a regular day. It is saying this is 12 hours of day, this is 12 hours of night. There wasn't a billion years that happened between day one and two. That's my belief. But you might be saying, well, wait a minute, Pastor. Uh, this isn't the creation creator. This is something's wrong here. But we got to remember that God is not bound by time, matter, and space. He creates time, matter, and space. The creator is not bound by the created creation or the created. Think of it this way. A painting does not tell the artist how it's going to look. A sculpture doesn't say, tell the, art, the artist this is the outcome. Right? He has an idea of what it's going to look like. Granted, he, granted <laughs> he may look at the granite and see the stone and say, um, I see this figure coming out of the stone, but the artist still dictates what that stone's going to look like. Therefore, God is not bound by his masterpiece unless he chooses to be, which in our case, praise God, he was, right? Because he binds himself, like we read in the call to worship today, in Colossians chapter 1, to his creation. He binds his power into his son, Jesus Christ. God is a God of order and of life, not chaos. We see that process in the process of a creation. Let's continue on. Genesis chapter 1, 9 through 13. And Jesus said, Let the waters beneath the sky flow together in one place, so dry ground may appear. And that is what happened. God called the dry ground land and the water sea. God saw that it was good. And then God said, Let the land sprout with vegetation, every sort of seed-bearing plant, and trees that grow seed-bearing fruit. These seeds will then produce the kind of plants and trees from which they came. And that is what happened. The land produced vegetation, all sorts of seeds-bearing plants and trees with seed-bearing fruit. Their seeds produced trees and, and the trees of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. And evening passed and morning came, marking the third day. This gives us a little bit of clue as to what came first, the chicken or the egg. If you are a Christian, you believe that the chicken came first, right? Because God created the chicken. He didn't create the egg. Now, if you are an evolutionist, you would say, well, obviously, the egg came first because it evolved from this other thing, right? That, that's the question. If you ever wondered uh, why people ask that, that's what they're really wanting to know. Uh, what came first? Were we created, or did we evolve out of something? I'll continue on that in a little bit. God creates dry ground. Dry ground, so we can have life in there. You know how much life is in a, in a pound of soil? Quite a bit. There's a lot of microorganisms that go on there, earthworms, things like that. That go on. If you have healthy soil, you have a healthy garden, right? If you have poor soil, we have a poor garden. It's not going to work. It all starts with the soil, okay? So it, this is allowed to sprout seeds. 
So we have sprouting seeds. Uh, I wonder what God's seed count was on those first seeds. You ever, you ever do a seed count and see how, how your grass germinates? You, you put 10 seeds, maybe it's beans, and you see how, if they're still good. I bet God's sprouted 100%. You know, it's perfection, right? And it produces vegetation. God said it, and it happened. Each with these with each of these points in creation, the, the land and the vegetation, we see that God had thought that it was good. As was the light on day one. He is pleased with his creation. He brought order from chaos, and that's how things that are created work. The creator brings order from disorder. He builds a framework and life. He is pleased with his work. Okay, you think of that as a builder. Does he get done with? Uh, Brandy showed me a video the other day um, on Facebook, and she's like, "Oh, you got to see this! You got to see this!" And this guy's cutting down this tree, and he hits the corner of his house, like the the three seasons room off his house, just bumps the corner, and the whole house shifts and just goes whoosh. The front house, front half of the house, is gone. Well, did they build on a very good foundation with that? Not really. Um, granted, trees are heavy, but it should never do that to a whole house where the whole front of your house falls off like that. And when God built his framework, he st- starts with a solid foundation. And he gives us an opportunity to build on that as he is. And he sets the example of what it means to have hard work and build he is pleased with his work. He sets the example for us to get satisfaction out of our work. Because God is a God of order and of life, not of chaos. We see that in the process of his creation. 14 through 19, Genesis chapter 1 says, Then God said, Let lights appear in the sky to separate the day from the night, and let there be signs to mark the seasons, days and years. Let these lights in the sky shine down on the earth. And that is how it happened. God made two great lights, the larger one to get, govern the day and the smaller one to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set those lights in the sky to light the earth and to govern the day and night and to separate the light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. The evening passed and the morning came, marking the fourth day. Was the universe hard for God to create? I would say no. He did it in 24 hours. Now, is God bound by time, matter, and space? No, so he could, and in his table, spend as much, dare I say, time on it as he wanted to. He can put as much detail in it as he wanted to. Maybe that's a better way to say it. Oh, yeah. I was trying to figure out where I was going here next. So when you look at plants, when they grow, what do plants prefer at the start? They prefer a little bit of water. They need water, right? And they actually like darkness. Did you know that? You can put um, your starter kits in a warm cupboard, and close that up, and your 
plants will actually do better for the first day or two in that cover, cupboard as they, they sprout up. They'll stretch out just a little bit longer looking for that sunlight, and then you open that cupboard and you let the, the sun in. Well, what do we have? We have 24 hours where we don't have this sunlight for this. We've created an atmosphere. We've created soil. We've created water and the water cycle. What do we have now? We, have, we need some plants to grow because plants will sustain light down the road. And as we have this all growing up, 24 hours, we have the light to sustain that life, don't we? God's thinking. He's the thinker. The sun and the moon, the night and the day, God saw that it was good, delineating a 24-hour passage of time. And you you now might be tempted to say, well, whoa, pastor, where are these? Were you one of those flatlander young earth guys? Well, I'll stop you right there and say, I am one of those but only one of those, okay? I'm not a flatlander. I am a young earth guy, okay? So I believe the earth is about six to 20,000 years old, probably not much older than 20. That makes me an oddball, then so be it. However, I do believe that is a sphere. And how do I know that? Because the science, right? It points to that. So I only believe in one of those things. How can I say this? How am I justifying the stance? The science points to the earth being billions of years old. And to that, I would say that my God is bigger than this problem with his creation that we've found out, right? That, that's one of the biggest things that we have. We see that God has... Um, how do we justify that we can see, look back at the earth and see that it's billions of years old, that the universe is billions of years old and yet had a starting point. Well, in my opinion, that's not that hard because God can create the universe from a starting point and expand it out into its current existence because we know that the universe is ever-expanding, right? It's going to go to entropy, which means it's going to burn out all the energy. We don't have to worry about that for a few billion years, right? So God's put us in a point of time where he can sustain uh, life in this planet. And um, how, can I, what, how do you justify carbon dating? Well, who said that God had to start all carbon atoms at the same time? Wouldn't they all date the same then, if that were the case? No, he puts them in their own individual time frame. And so he creates it in the middle because he thought that would, that's the way he wanted to do it. My God's bigger than that problem. He is a God of order and of life and not of chaos. Um, we see that in the process in, of his creation. 20 through 23. Then God said, let the waters swarm with fish and other life. Let the seas be filled with birds of every kind. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing and the scurries that scurries and swarms in the water and every sort of bird and every producing offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Let the fish fill the sea and let the birds multiply on the earth. And the evening passed and the morning came. And then marking the fifth day. And the first time we see a blessing 
in Scripture. God's blessed these to be fruitful and multiply and go off across the earth. God creates life in the sea. He creates birds in the air. Yet again, preparing his, his way for his greatest creation on day six. He sees what he has done and he is pleased. He says, it is good. And that's all I have to say about day five. I didn't have any more. So why stretch it out? 24 through 31. Then God said, let the earth produce every sort of animal, each producing offspring of the same kind. Livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground and wild animals. And that, that is what happened. God made all sorts of wild animals, livestock, and small animals, each able to produce offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. And they will reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and the livestock and all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of, of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and all the animals that scurry along the ground. And God said, Look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. I have given every green plant as food for all the wild animals and the birds in the sky and the the small animals that scurry along the ground and everything that has life. And that, is what ha and that is what happened. Then God looked over all he had made and he saw that it was very good. And evening passed and morning came and marked the sixth day. Wow, a lot of responsibilities there, right? Again, we see that blessing that God has blessed us to be fruitful and multiply. I remember... When we had our third kid, Charlie Barr came up to us and says, you fulfilled the commandment. And I was like, oh, to be fruitful and multiply. You've had one more than two. And that's, that's what it means to multiply. And I was like, strong point there. Um, and the Lord said, have one more. And then we said, that, we're done, Lord. Thank you. We appreciate all our blessings that we get. God creates. God is creative. Did you know that any attack that Satan has on you is not his own? It's something that God has, in a sense, already thought of, but Satan is distorted. Does that give you comfort? There's nothing new under the sun. Even Satan can't think of anything new. He uses his old tricks and things, and things that he is still bound by God in that sense, I think. He starts, God starts here with his creation with the livestock, eats their own kind. I think this is opposite of macro evolution. It says, eats their own kind. Why would. Why would, is it so important 
for evolutionists to say that we came out of all these different things and that they broke out into their own species and things from one because it goes directly against God's word. That's why. And that theory that goes on and it, it's been distorted and um, pretty much proven that there has to be a creator out there. Now, generally, if you don't want to believe in the God, in God, what do you say created us? This is the new thing that's coming on because it is pointing to a master creator. Who are they saying that is their master creator? Aliens. That, that's what they're saying. They're saying aliens created us. They left us here, and that's, that's how we came to be, right? Which is a distortion, and it's wrong. But it's, in their mind, it's better than having a God, because if you have a God, what do you have? You have morality, and you have a sense of morality, and they don't want a sense of morality because they want to do as thou wilt, which is straight out of the book of Satan, right? Follow your heart. Huh? Well, that's the same thing, right? Do what you want. Do what it says. Do what feels good. But the problem with I see with this, and maybe, maybe the blessing that I see in this too, is I see each in their own kind. I can see that today. I don't see things halfway between um, a household cat and a tiger, or I don't see um, a tiger turning into this um, Jurassic tiger, maybe, maybe a saber-toothed tiger. I don't see that happening. And if it's survival of the fittest, shouldn't they still be around? And they're not, and that's confusing to me as well. And I don't see four-armed people, because you ever... You ever worked on anything, anything at all, and you got your hands full, and you're like, wish I had a third hand, right? Wish I had a fourth hand, forearms, we don't see them. Did you, I'm pretty sure this is true, I'm not 100% sure, but six fingers is actually the dominant trait. I think I learned this in sixth grade. Six fingers is the dominant trait, but yet we only have five most of the time in our society. How come it hasn't dominated over, over time? I don't know the answer to that, um, unless it's the way that God created it. We don't see six people or people in half our creation. We don't see us halfway to another species. What's he? Well, he's Cro Magnum man. I mean, that's maybe what you'd call your pastor, but uh, <laughs> right. But there's order in the human body too. Anybody have to raise your arm to smell? No, I smell, and then I, ra I raise my arm, then I smell, right? <laughs> no, you don't have your nose under your armpit. Last time I checked, most people's nose are in the center of their face. Most people have two eyes, two ears, one mouth, a set of teeth that is in order, 46 or so of them, right? We all have these things. They're all a blessing, have and they all point to order and a creator it it wouldn't make sense otherwise it when you break it down and you see life and how it's manifested it 
shows, and it, and it shows up in, a, in an orderly way, which points to God. What? I know it's crazy. And I think when it comes down to his creation, God saved the best for last. The same reason he created everything was so that he could have something in his own image. And that's how I can say that we are the best of his creation, because we are created after the creator. It's not bragging if it's true, right? Maybe it's still bragging then, but it is true. <laughs> I know, I know, I've, I've said some things that are true, and, and I bragged about them, and uh, the Lord's chastised me about that, so I know you can still brag, and, and yes, it is still bragging. Um, God created us above the rest of the creation. And he does it for a reason. You look at verse 27, 28, it says, For God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then God blessed them, and he said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the, in the sea and the birds in the sky and all the animals that scurry along the ground. And every time I see scurry, I think of Craig. He says, scurry, scurry, scurry. So let's... Let's pull back and look what God has created through this illustration. I saw this on Karen Schillenberg's uh, site. I looked for it. I couldn't find it anywhere else that I could uh, give credit. So I'm just going to let you know this is not my um, illustration, but I couldn't find the, the first author. It says, when God created fish, he spoke to the sea. When God created trees, he spoke to the earth. When God created man, he turned to himself. You ever see that in creation? That, I just, that blew me away. I was like, wow. Well, let's keep going. Because that was amazing. Let's keep going and see what else it says. If you take a fish out of water, it will die. If you take a tree and remove it from the soil, it will also die. Likewise, when man is disconnected from God, he dies. God is our natural environment. When we, we were created to live in his presence, and we have to be connected to him because it is only in him that life exists. Let's stay connected to God. We recall that the water without fish is still water, but fish without water is nothing. And soil without tree is still soil, but tree without soil is nothing. And God without man is still God, but God without or man without God, he is nothing. And so that is important to remember as we walk through and I thought that was a great illustration. And I leave you with this challenge as we look at this creation that God has given us. How are you connecting with God in your life? How are you doing there? Are you taking time to thank him for what he's given us? Thank him for his creation? Thank you for that pain in the neck this morning. Right? Because what does pain tell you? Well, it tells you you're alive. And it's a way to thank God for being alive. Does your life have a sense 
of order or is it in chaos? That can show you who you're clinging to. Are you clinging to yourself and your own authority or are you clinging to the Lord? Now, can you have order in chaos? Because life throws us chaos all the time, right? Satan is always trying to take us down and one of his best tools is chaos. But I believe that we can have peace that passes understanding. When we have that, it's proof that God is there in the chaos. Because God is a God of order and of life, not chaos. We see that process in his creation. Let's wrap up with day seven. Chapter two. So the creation of the heavens and earth and everything in it was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation. So he rested from, from his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day that he rested from all his work of creation. Day seven. Did you know that the number seven in the Bible generally represents to be sanctified? Set apart as holy is what sanctified is, okay? So God set this apart as holy. In a sense, it's complete. It is finished. It is done. So God rests in this to signify that it is done. And if it happens to be with the Lord, then you could say it's perfect. Okay, a lot of people want to say that the number seven represents perfection. Well, there's some qualifiers I have to go in with that. God has to be in that for it to be perfect. So I think it's better to be set apart as holy or as holy, and in that holiness it's perfected. When God was done working, he rested. A good six, six days of work and one day's rest is the first example that God shows us in Scripture. Shows us how to work hard for the first six days, but to rest on the seventh. Some of us need to, to learn the example of working hard, and some of us need to learn how to rest on that seventh day. Right? There's usually, you're usually one or the other. Or I have times where I'm, I'm go. I'll go, 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 go. And then there's times where I'm just like, I can't go. I need to rest, 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 rest. But there's a balance there. And we need to learn how to do six and one. Six and one, just like he created us to do. All right? Because God is a God of order and of life, not chaos. We see that in the process of his creation. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for our time together. We thank you that you have set us in order. That you uh, love us. That you care for us. That you want... Um, what's best for us, that you know what we're supposed to look like. You know our ideal. Lord, you allow us to cling to you so that we can strive for that ideal. Lord, I pray that when we turn away from you, that you would accept us back, that we would have a broken, contrite heart, and that we would seek you um, and find you when we seek you with all our heart. Lord, I pray that we'd be seeking you this week as we praise you for your creation and your wonderful order in it. Guide and direct us, lead us, and protect us as we go. We ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed.